Hello, and welcome to another episode of Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information from around the Washington National Guard and the Washington Military Department. I'm Jason Kreiss. On today's show, I sit down and chat with a few members of the dust-off team over at the Army Aviation Facility. In October of this year, just last month, Chief Warrant Officer 4 Ryan Kennedy, along with his crew, piloted their UH-60 Blackhawk helicopter out near Leavenworth, Washington, to help rescue an injured hiker and transport them to safety. This is something that they train for a lot, but they don't necessarily get to do it as a real-world mission very often. They talk us through the rescue step-by-step, each of them sharing what their roles were during the mission. When recording this episode, we got a little carried away and we ended up talking for an hour and a half. So I'm going to break up this one into two episodes. This episode will be about the rescue mission and the next one will be about the the aviation career field and their love for their service in the Guard. When we had exhausted all we could talking about the rescue, they started to rave about their careers, their camaraderie, their love of flying, and even how they got into aviation in the first place. When talking with them, I was struck by the friendship and brotherhood that they had formed. They lovingly throw out snide comments and poke fun at each other, as only soldiers are apt to do. This was a very fun conversation to have, and I hope you enjoy these two episodes. All right. Well, first of all, I just want to thank everybody for coming in. Um, um, would like you to go around the room. Uh, we'll start over here on my, my left, and then just introduce yourselves and uh, what you do for the uh, guard. All right. Uh, my name's Specialist Nicholas Ehrenheim. I'm uh, with the uh, Charlie 10168, uh, our call sign's Rainier Dustoff. Um, I'm a crew chief, so been in about 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, Staff Sergeant Travis Bearden. I'm a flight paramedic. Okay. That's it? Just a flight paramedic? That's it. Assigned to the Charlie Company, one of the 168. Call sign Rainier Dusta, right? <laughs> yeah, if we want to go that far. All right. Um, CW4, Ryan Kennedy. I'm a dual status military technician. I work at the facility as an instructor pilot. Um, also assigned to Charlie, one of the 168, Rainier Dusta, as their uh, standardization pilot. Okay. CW3, Marty Hayes. Uh, I'm the AMSO or uh, survivability officer assigned to uh, Charlie 168 dust off, um, traditional M-Day pilot, and then uh, civilian side, I'm a state trooper. Oh, neat. So are you here on, uh, on drill? Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I actually took the day off to come do this. So. Oh, wow. Thank I'm, you very much. I'm coming into fly, too, so <laughs> after we're done here, I'm going to go do a little bit of flying. Oh, cool. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, what is Rainier Dustoff? You guys have said that a couple times. What is what does that What does that mean? So, Rainier, Rainier Dustoff is our our call sign for our uh, our unit. Um, we recently just got back from a rotation in Kosovo. Uh, spent nine months over there as the medical evacuation asset uh, in that area for the NATO forces, and um, so. Pretty much everybody, well, everybody that we have here today, we we were part of that uh, organization that went to Kosovo, and we just got back like 18 months ago. And this this rescue mission that we're going to talk about here uh, in a minute, this is something, this is like our bread and butter. This is what we spent the majority of our time in Kosovo training for. Um, so, you know, coming back to the States, going back into a drilling status off of Title 10, um, we there's not real, really much of a mission for us here because um, most everybody in our organizations is traditional M-Day. So we, we don't have the assets to stand up a full-time like rescue response um, um, agency. So um, Rainier Dustoff is, is, is our call sign that we use uh, for anything that we go out and do for, the, for military training. So um, that's what our patches, unfortunately nobody has patches here today, but uh, that's what our patches say our morale patches, mm-hmm. um, and uh, most aviation units, in fact, every unit that's out there has some type of um, call sign or, or nickname, like uh, 161s, the Highlanders, and then, um, right. you know, you got the Assault Company, which are, which are the Cougar, which the Cougar Company, boxcars for the CH-47 mm-hmm. guys. So for us, we're Rainier Dust Off because we're a dust off organization. 
And I think to kind of simplicate what he's trying to say is we love our state so much that we actually named it after our beautiful Mount Rainier <laughs> that we have. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Rainier beer if you want to go that route. Uh, but, yeah, I think to kind of simplicate what he's saying, uh, we based it off of the Mount Rainier that we have in our state and how it okay. kind of looks over everything and um yeah um that was a uh, specialist nick Earnhardt, by the way <laughs> <laughs> um cool so um yeah the reason why i brought you guys in here today is because um you guys rescued a an injured hiker right they were they were injured they couldn't move you had to go extract them you know they were they were in distress and um and that's what happened you guys went out there you basically extracted them brought them to to safety to the hospital and we're just going to talk about that that mission and and <clears throat> and what happened and how to, how it went so okay. um my understanding is that this is not something you guys you, you guys train for quite often but not something you do in real real life often and i'm wondering like how did you get this mission to begin with well from what i understand uh, the uh, emergency management division, the EMD, they get a call, and and I'm I'm paraphrasing here. Sure. Um, so they start looking for agencies that are available to go out and do these extractions. Um, if they call to us and we have the aircraft and the crews ready or available, then they might consider launching us. Um, and then you know it also takes approval from from. Colonel Seaglock, our SAO, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to look at the mission overall and determine whether or not it, this is a feasible mission for us. Uh, so he's going to look at our crew experience. He's going to look at the aircraft. He's going to look at the weather, uh, the location. If we have fuel, if there's going to be fuel um, requirements that we're going to meet, and he's going to look at the mission overall and, and determine whether or not we can launch and do it. Um, more than likely, most people, it, there's other agencies that do this full-time, like Snohomish County does it full-time. Mm-hmm. That's that's like their bread and butter. Uh, then you also have the Coast Guard and then uh, the Whidbey SAR guys up in uh, Naval Whidbey Air Station. Mm-hmm. They they go out and do this stuff all the time, too. Yeah. So um, we're kind of like the, you know, the the junior varsity. The bench. Yeah, the bench. Yeah. doesn't mean that we don't have the capability right. and we don't know what we're doing. It just we just don't really have the staff to do this full time. Right. Okay. And this one just happened to happen at the end of duty day during drill. So we happen to have everybody there. So right. the okay. stars aligned. Yeah. The stars aligned. The only, the only thing that we were really concerned about at that time was our fighter management, um, whether or not we were going to run into like uh, crew rest issues. Cause we had already been there all day for, for drill. Um, so we can get extensions. Um, but you know, then you start running into like crew fatigue, and and then once we start having fatigue, mistakes tend to happen. Mm-hmm. So we were really cautious about that. Yeah, I was actually on the way out, uh, leaving base, almost to the gate, when my first line link called and said, "Hey, we got a mission coming down. Do you want to get on it?" And I was like, "I flipped the UV <laughs> right there." Came wow. back, got the aircraft ready, and yeah, we were ready to go. Yeah, because that was right at the end, and we were all about mm-hmm. to go to mm-hmm. hail and farewell for. Um, somebody leaving the unit, so I think we all just lucked out with the timeline. Wow, that's pretty neat. Um, that's a lot to go through in in a you know in a in a short period of time to get to get something you know spun up like that. Well, that's I a mean, lot to think about, to talk about the weather. Yeah, rest, was, you know, I don't want to say it was funny because there's no rescue mission that's out there that's funny, but right. it was. It, it was strange because I, I walked into our training room and my commander looked at me and said, hey, we have a potential mission. And I looked at my watch and I just kind of chuckled and I said, yeah, okay. Like, we're about ready to leave, right? And, like, nobody's ready for this. We weren't right. even postured for this when we showed up that morning. Um, and I was like, well, I can't just ignore this. Uh, so let's let's start preparing just in case, you know, let's – start getting the aircraft ready get the crews notified uh start working on the risk assessment get the appropriate briefings that we need to be able to launch on this mission so Mm -hmm. we got the ball rolling and uh once it it looked like it was going to be a plausible mission uh 
and uh, we were gonna we had the potential to launch then then we started really rolling with it and starting we started getting everybody really spooled up and mm -hmm. ready to go um, and it took within an hour we were wheels up so so the, in the background they're calling Snohomish County right they're asking if if any other asset is available and yeah I think I think they call around and they look for any feasible options um, and I think that, like Travis said, the, the stars just aligned, and, and we were just at the hmm. right place at the right time, even though we weren't really expecting it. Mm -hmm. um, wow. But, I mean, it pays a testament to our, our level of preparation. Even when we're not prepared, we're, we have our gear ready to go. And For our sure. crews are available. We can, we can jump through our, our butts and, and get this going. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I, I think those decisions, like, on what asset they're going to use are happening all the time because we had – what was it two drills earlier we had the same call where potential you know rescue mission we got ready for about an hour and then it was just ah it's going to somebody else yeah um, and i think that was either the drill before or two drills before so i think it's not uncommon you know i mean i think i had the same thought where like when they said hey this is a potential thing happening i kind of said yeah sure mm. you know yeah we'll get ready because you know it could happen but you know, I didn't actually expect it to happen. So. Right. And this yeah. isn't the first time we've done this. Um, I mean, historically, I would say on average once a year, uh, we'll actually launch on a mission, um, minus the period mm -hmm. of time. When we were when we first launched for Kosovo, um, the the medevac unit that we were we were out of state, we were gone. We were in like Fort Hood. Maybe we were even in Kosovo by the time, but. The facility over there at JBLM got a phone call um, from the EMD, and they actually launched. Uh, and we had some crew members go out and launch and, and do a rescue mission while we after we left. So it's not just us that you know that that keep trained up on these hoist operations and and rescue missions. It's, mm -hmm. it's something um, by nature of being aviation um, that we try to keep others in the loop too and keep them trained. Um, as far as like the the patient care and stuff like that we we have the capabilities to do patient care but um you know at a bare minimum we have crews that can go out and extract someone and, and deliver them to where they need to go mm, okay awesome um all right so you guys got the mission you got the call you 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 spun up like um what happens once you guys get in the air like well talk I mean, us through the <laughs> <laughs> um well, these guys did a great job getting the aircraft ready. Uh, Travis did a great job getting all the medical gear out there. Um, another crew member we had with us, Ty Thompson, he's another flight medic. He did a great job running out to the aircraft and getting all the flight gear out there. Hmm. Uh, Marty did a great job of, you know, doing the pre-flight and making sure the aircraft was prepared. Um, and then Nick did a great job doing whatever he did. <laughs> it just so happened that the aircraft was already in the hangar so we didn't have to walk very far to get to it um i think that's best on my part because i'm the one that towed it into the aircraft way beforehand but um, yeah <laughs> what happens when these rescue missions uh occur is that um everybody and their and their brothers and sisters and their step sisters and stepbrothers and their uncles and aunts want to be involved um, so, uh, you go from a briefing room that is void of anybody to a briefing room full of curious mm. people within the chain of command. And it, and it just so happened to happen during drill. Mm. So we had not only our SAO there, uh, brigade SP, but we also had the, the battalion command team that was there, you know, involved in the whole situation. So the conversation was getting passed between no less than maybe 10 people. Mm -hmm. And so there was there was a lot of information that we didn't know um, before we launched on the mission. And so there's there's specific criteria that we have to meet before we we are comfortable leaving and going and doing missions like this. Namely, what's the extent of the injuries? Where's the location? Uh, where are we taking the patient? Any points of contact? Um, at, at one point, we thought that there was a nurse that was already on the ground treating this guy. And it turned out that she was just an innocent bystander walking mm -hmm. by. And 
so happened to just be in the medical profession, not really knowing what her credentials were, but we were like, hey, we're going to hoist this gal up too. And, and when we're starting to talk about hoisting civilians or even flying civilians in the back of aircraft, military aircraft, that, that you start getting to an all new level of, you know, hey, can we do this? Are we legal to do this? Mm -hmm. So um, there was a lot of questions to be answered before we could even launch on this mission legally. Um, so it, there was, it was very, it, it, it gets very stressful and, and tense um, before you go out on this mission. I'll bet. All the while you're trying to focus on what's going on too and, and try to stay focused on the mission itself, you know. Uh, and you want to get off the ground as quickly as possible. But mm -hmm. the more people that are involved, uh, tends to hang things up. Um, so me as the PC, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who the right people are to talk to, and that would be the SAO and, and the battalion commander, as well as the brigade stands and whoever was briefing me for the mission. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Yeah, it was pretty chaotic in the briefing room. I mean, I hate to say that the flight portion was the boring port, but it, like, <laughs> not, it was pretty... We flew out to the location, we conducted hoist, and then we picked up the guy and dropped him off. Like, the hard work all happened before we got to that point. It usually is the hardest part, is just, just determining whether or not you could do the mission. Mm -hmm. uh, making sure you have all the pieces of information critical to the mission itself. Because um, the last thing you want to do is go out, launch on a mission, and then end up on a location that's not the right location, or you get to the location and, and the patient is... Yeah. You know, the, the injuries don't match what you were reported, mm -hmm. you know, and now you're dealing with doing all kinds of other things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, a friendly phone call to the point of contact, which ha so happened to be the the deputy sheriff that was there at Chelan County. Um, he kind of clued me in on, on what was going on. So I was talking to him, the SAO, uh, brigade stands, uh, everybody just there was so many people so many levels of like hey do we have the right things to do this mission okay so the hard part definitely for them is the front side but the hard part for us is being on the ground dragging that guy through the woods yeah. so yeah we'll get there for them we'll, it was we'll, easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i just want to point that out we'll get we'll get to that after Here. that all i had to do was fly a helicopter <laughs> and hover you know that's it that was one of my other questions like like is it fairly difficult to to like maintain a hover or is it just pretty easy to oh, autopilot answer this question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh maybe when you start but i mean you know as you build up experience and yeah. you know i mean we trained up for kosovo this is a pretty experienced crew we've all been in the unit mm -hmm. for a long time i don't think that was probably the challenging part for us um you know it's something that we train for over and over and over again um so we're pretty pretty proficient at it so Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so you're so you're up in the air, and uh, what was the uh, what was the signal? How did you know where to find this person? I mean, this is like out in the middle of nowhere, right? Like outside of Leavenworth or so. Well, we got a grid that we put into our GPS, so we kind of knew mm -hmm. the approximate location uh, when we showed up there, and it was, I mean, pretty spot on. I mean, you know. Didn't have to search, do some circles, doing the search for looking I think for we something. Circled around once, but uh, you know our crew members in the back pretty quickly okay. found where you know where they were at, and I don't recall what. Yeah, and in route I had marked. I was texting with mm -hmm. the the sheriff's deputy on the ground to figure out everything he knew, and he was in contact with them through a Garmin. Okay. So we we had some dialed in information on our way in, and then Nick's the one who actually spotted them as we were coming overhead. Tell me what you saw. Well, so basically, we cusped over the top of this ridge, came down into the valley, and uh, pilots are like, all right, we're near the grid location, start looking. So, of course, my instinct was just to look out the window, really. Um, but then when I'm sharing it with two other medics who want to also help spot, I just ended up opening up the cargo door, so our field of vision was a little bit bigger. Um, probably after the pilot said, you know, start looking within about, I'd say about a minute or so we were coming through and I just happened to look down in this one open spot and there was uh, two people waving an emergency blanket and I was like oh uh, there's the signal right there there they are and we you know I don't know if you target stored or basically we just did another go around came around and everybody finally had eyes on them and yeah we just kind of went from there okay 
So what uh, what was the process of extracting? Like how do you, how do you guys how do you guys do that? So basically, uh, when we're getting close to the grid, uh, they'll give us a, a five minute alcohol, which then uh, us in the back, we I uh, being the crew chief, I'll bring the hook in. Uh, I'll get my medics uh, secured onto the hook while they're still secured to the aircraft as well. Um, then once we get even closer, we do a, a two minute alcohol, which then. Uh, well, after, of course, I get my medic hooked up, then we do a, a buddy check where we're checking everybody to make sure they're still, you know, still secured. Um, then at the two-minute alcohol, we kind of do our second set of buddy checks. Um, at that time, uh, depending on what we're doing, I'll usually get the cargo door open. We'll start seeing, you know, where we're at, what's going on. Um, and then uh, basically a one-minute alcohol from there, and then that's when uh, I usually get my medics to the door figuring out what's going on um but in this scenario we kind of just waited till we were uh actually spotted them and where they were um so my medics of course were already hooked up and then once we found where they were then i got the cargo door open got them to the door uh we came to about i want to say a hundred foot hover um we were in kind of like an open area but there were still trees around us that were just about as tall as we were uh so it was more of like a confined space mm-hmm. um then yeah once that happened uh dropped my medics down on the hook about 100 feet uh got them on the ground uh they unhooked brought the hook back up uh and then that's when we started doing our patterns and just waiting for the medics. Oh, so you guys just fly around while you are mm-hmm. on the ground treating the patient okay yeah. can you talk us through like going down and 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 yeah so come, from our side um, once we came overhead and had eyes on what we were going to deal with we kind of me and the other medic talked about what it looked like our situation was going to be and before that we had talked about what kind of medical gear we were going to need based on my texting with the sheriff's deputy and what he knew at the time so we divvied up who's going to have what gear and the other medic and i uh, decided that we were going to use two skeds because it sounded like we were going to have to drag this guy through the woods quite a ways and with this the aviation version of the sked obviously if you're lifting somebody up with that you know 100 150 feet in the air you want that thing to be pristine and in really good condition and not just have drag someone down to the logging trail right mm. so we decided to take two of those and some basic med gear we knew we'd been down there for a while odds that you know we're dealing with some major trauma or anything like that you know we're pretty slim so we packed kind of light because we knew we were hiking in there pretty far um so once we got overhead me and ty divvied up our gear who's carrying what nick lowered us down Uh, we decided instead of trying to land super close to the trees we backed off a little ways landed in some marshy area just to give us a little more room to work around and not put the helicopter so close to trees and right over the people that were you know signaling us in uh when ty and i got on the ground we were dealing with some marshiness which is you know fine we deal with that they like to set us in the water a lot just to (laughs) mess with us so that's our normal um from there ty and i had to hike in probably almost a quarter mile to get from where we were signaled to where the guy was but it was some pretty dense forest up in that area um so good thing we brought the two skeds and our gear Ty and I got there. We kind of did a quick assessment of the guy. I let Ty kind of lead that as my more junior medic, let him get some experience Mm -hmm. doing that kind of stuff. And then from there, I decided to run off into the woods and try to find a closer location than a quarter mile out to get this guy. Tried hopping through the woods. It was quite interesting with all the people that that was a very well-traveled trail. So then, you know, they come across an army guy in his aviation kit with med (laughs) gear on and they're like, what is going on? So, you know, just trying to work through people and explain to them what's going on and kind of keep them moving on their way. You know, a lot of people wanting pictures and stuff. (laughs) Nothing to see here. We're busy. We're busy. (laughs) Um, Where I went, I kind of went up and uh, east from our location didn't really find any good lo- locations to hoist out of there. There were some really like rocky open areas, but nothing good for hoisting out of. Ran back down to where Ty was. Um, Ty had also went off at that point because he was comfortable. The patient was pretty stable. Um, found a location that was kind of downhill from where we were. And then from there, we conferred with each other what was wrong with the guy. You know, is this safe to, for this guy to walk? Do we need to? carry him do we need to put him in the sked like what's our best course of action here um him and i decided that the guy could walk with assistance and then from there we decided with his injuries we'd put him in the sked to get him up 
Um, I don't remember, was Ty's radio working? Yeah. Okay, so we were yeah, able we were to communicate to through the embitter what our plan was to them. And then from there, we got the guy down. Took us a while to get him through. We had to go off trail to get to this clearing, and then that clearing also had marsh, so trying to help this guy who's injured. I think it was a knee. I think he messed up his knee and kind of like his wrists a little bit, so mm -hmm. not too hard to get him to walk and get him through some stuff. Once we got him out in that marshy land, we made sure they had eyes on us so they knew where we were as I was packaging the patient. And then Ty and I worked together and got them all squared away. I double-checked the SCAD to make sure everything was secured properly. The guy was in nice and tight. Um, you know, you don't want accidents to happen, especially with the SCAD, it's super dangerous. It's something we never put a live person in during training because there have been so many accidents with those. So definitely double-checked and then he mm -hmm. double-checked and then I double-checked again as the hook was coming down. Um, hook came down, hit the ground. Ty at that point started offsetting the, the tagline because there's been videos out there where taglines break and stuff. So that was what Ty was doing, was providing as much offset as he could to keep the sked from spinning as it comes up because the rotor washed the spin. Got it. Um, I held onto the sked. They started to lift it up. And then from there, they we conducted the sked operation and it felt it went great. It was super smooth. Everything Good. went right. And then I just kind of stood back from that point and let Ty do his thing as there was nothing left for me to do on the ground other than watch and take some cool pictures for the PAO. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, so once you got them in, in the, in the, the Blackhawk and, and you, you guys went back up, um, where did you, where did you go? Where did you take them? There's a, there's a landing pad, um, that's just south of Leavenworth. They call it the fish bed, the fish bed or the fish hatchery, yeah. the old fish hatchery. There's oddly enough, there's a, there's a helipad down there. Uh, landed there before in the past, so I was familiar with where it was at. And I mean, from the from the point of injury where we picked the patient up to the fish bed, it was maybe three minutes. Yeah, it was a super short flight. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and it was all like down valley, so we were descending the whole time, and it didn't take any time for us to get there at all. Get him on the ground, and then and then Ty and Travis got him out and. Got him loaded up on the, the stretcher thingy for the ambulance and pass him off. All right. It was super seamless and easy. Okay. All in all, from once you guys got the mission to where you dropped him off and got back to the flight facility, how long did it take? Two hours. Two? We logged two hours. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it took us about 30 minutes to get to the site and then probably another, I don't know, 20 to 30 minutes to package the patient and do the hoist operation, get him down to Leavenworth and then over to the ambulance. And then by the time we got back, of course we weren't flying nearly as fast on the way back. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, it was, we logged two hours. Nice. Well, Go ahead. it was, it was actually pretty like uh, once they found him and brought him out and I spotted Ty down in the, the marsh area, he was act they were actually only about maybe three, 400 feet away from the initial drop-off site where I dropped them at. Um, but they were more kind of east and off into uh, a more secluded, there were a lot more trees around. So then this turned into an actual, more of a confined space lift, because uh, then we had to get above the trees. So it actually turned out uh, to be a 130 foot hoist. Um, but once we got him hooked up, then we did an offset. So it created that tension with the tagline. Um, and they had positive ID on the tagline, and so did we. And I think we gave a pretty good eyesight for uh, Mr. Hayes as well, so he could look down and see that we had, you know, positive ID of the tagline, and we weren't going to run into anything. Um, but yeah, once we got him in the aircraft, then uh, I got him secured. Uh, the doc started looking at him. Then I hoisted back down the hook uh, for my two medics to hook up, and then I hoisted them up afterwards. And then as we kind of clear the trees. Um, I cleared for forward flight and then we just started moving uh, and then everything kind of snowballed we got to where we needed to go everything was kind of nice and fluent and uh, I think that's what helped keep the mission going and mm. we weren't just kind of stuck going oh what are we going to do now it's like we just kept everything fluently moving and I think that's what caused it to be a really successful mission can you describe what a tagline is is that something that that like a 
so, support for yeah. So basically, when the sked's around. coming up, uh, they the medics have a secure tagline. So as the sked's coming up and they're kind of uh, set off from it, uh, it keeps the uh, the sked level and with tension. Mm. So when it does get underneath the rotor wash, it won't start spinning. Mm. Uh, so any kind of turbulence that it runs into, it's like a stability. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. Um, so and then of course once I get the patient into the aircraft with the sked, I release the tagline so that then I'm not dragging this tagline in and they don't know what's going on. So once it drops to the ground, then the medics can ravel it up oh, and okay. secure it and uh, bring, it, yeah, up, bring it, just, it back up with you. Yeah. It's basically just a rope to keep the load stable and keep yeah. it from spinning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you know, you got a guy on the ground that's managing that as you're hoisting the patient up. You know, last thing you want to do is enter into a spin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have emergency procedures for that, but um, if you could avoid it at all costs, you know, you can, yeah. you can prevent further injury to the patient and risk having an accident. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and it's always good as my job as well as when I'm coming up to make sure it's a nice slow movement because I'm not ripping the guy up from the ground and then the taglines being, you know, coursed mm-hmm. through my medic's hands and yeah. cause rope burn <laughs> or anything like that. So it's, yeah. um, it's very, it's something you want to keep in mind when so, you're, when you're coming. So up. that thing that hoist has a capability of going super fast. Yeah, so it can go uh, about 300 feet a minute. So it's okay. it, it can move pretty quick, and I can get people out if I need to in, in a dramatic way. But uh, for this case, it was yeah, everything was nice, smooth, and, and kind of slow pace possible. Yeah, because yeah. like you said, we never train with a real person inside these skeds. So this being my actual first time lifting someone up in a sked, mm-hmm. it was like that was also in the back of my head. So I was making sure I was doing everything smooth That'll, and slow. And slow is smooth, smooth is exactly. fast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. So um, talk about the the training. Like like you guys do this often for training, and uh, and what's what kind of things do you guys do? Yeah, quite a bit. We uh, we have currency requirements for hoist operations. Um, us being in the medevac detachment, we we do it under day conditions, under MVGs, so we'll go out at night and do this kind of stuff too. Um, but uh, everybody's got to do a live lift within once within 120 days. Uh, the Army came out with an SOP not too long ago because uh, there was a series of accidents that kind of led us to, re- or led, that led up to the Army requiring an SOP. And it kind of fell in line with other agencies as well with their, with their hoist um, mm-hmm. operations. Um, so you kind of have the same language, the same vernacular as, as like maybe the Coast Guard or the Navy or other agencies, maybe the Air Force that do the hoist operations, right? So uh, there's still some differences, but generally relatively the same. So um, we're constantly training with this. This is one of our, this is kind of like our bread and butter, mm-hmm. you know, doing hoist operations. Now I, got, I do got to say as a medevac, agency when we we get on to scene um the first thing the safest thing to do is just land the helicopter if you can so um and just do like a like a like a load up from the side or well something. yeah we just land the helicopter and pick up the patient and right. then it's just safer and easier to do it that way but in this situation we got on scene and there was no place there was like a marshy area that was like no way that we were going to land a helicopter in there um and uh the there was just no place to safely put the helicopter down. So we were kind of forced to do this hoist operation. So, um, you know, we're, we're always assessing the situation as it develops, right? And so um, you want to do everything as safely and as efficiently as possible. So um, doing the SCAD operation with our hoist uh, was, was the most feasible way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, for the the medic what what kind of things did you have to do en route back to the to the landing at, in leavenworth at the, the the helipad did you have to treat the patient at all or no there wasn't much that the patient needed um he was just kind of a simple trip and fall mm. um landed on his left side hurt his ribs a little bit but it was just reassessing him making okay. sure everything was good make sure that you know, obviously on the ground, things are a little more chaotic, a whole lot going on, trying to find a good extraction point and all those things. So we do a primary assessment on the ground, kind of understand what's going on with the patient. Then when we get him up there, everything's a little more slow, a little more calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also had our PA up there as well, who started the reassessment uh, while we were still getting extracted ourselves. 
and just really understand what's going on with the patient. Um, at that point, we only had basic gear on board with us. Um, that's something we as a state are figuring out right now is what that whole medical care side of the house looks like. So we just brought basic care. Patient didn't really need much. We had a good understanding of what was going on. Ty did some documentation so that we had some actual like tangible thing to hand off to the paramedics who were receiving mm-hmm. um, so that they would know what they're dealing with. And yeah, it wasn't okay. too much going on in the back there. Yeah, you also have to consider there was very little in route like care time. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. by the time you guys got back on the aircraft, I mean, we're about less than five minutes from landing yeah. and dropping that guy off in an ambulance. So not really a lot of time for you guys to do very much no. other than very basic, you know, making sure he's still, you know, okay and not, you know, getting any worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if there was something that was, the patient was getting worse, it would just be a, let them know. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Hayes, what's, uh, what's your role in like as a, as a co-pilot, like what is your role in all this? Well, um, you know, uh, well, Ryan was trying to, manage the chaos that was happening in the planning room um Hmm. you know i kind of went out to the aircraft to get it ready um unfortunately we had not flown that day and we didn't have any plans to fly so the aircraft was i mean in the hangar um no one had looked at it um had uh you know we had to call for gas uh you know so it was getting the aircraft ready um uh you know and then just doing the pre-flight, everything else. Mm. Um, once we kind of got the go-ahead to launch, um, check to make sure if Ryan needed anything else. Um, but I think we were all ready to go. We got in the aircraft. Um, uh, and then I'm reading off the checklist, uh, making sure we're doing, um, you know, all four phases of, we knew it was going to be a hoist. Um, so, you know, making sure that we're, you know, uh, recomputing our power requirements, making sure we have enough fuel, everything else. Um, I think it took me an embarrassingly long time to, you know, make sure our, um, we had sufficient power. Um, you know, it's, it's something where like, you know, you have enough power, uh, but you still got to do the math on it. And, um, I don't know if it's just nerves, excitement, everything else, you know, it's like, you know, took me way longer to do basic math than it should have there was, but there was I, mean, I, I worked through it yeah. we had a lot of time <laughs> to do it <laughs> I mean, it was like 30 minutes in route where you know you you spool up and you know the exi- the general is just like kicking you know and everybody's excited and i think we got on the other side of lake taps on on our way to leavenworth and then everybody just kind of calmed down hmm. and there was like i don't know maybe five ten minutes where nobody said anything Nobody said anything in the helicopter, and we just we just went and did our thing. And then, you know, I was like, "Are we okay?" You know, I'm like, "Let's let's like double, let's double check guessing. the temperature yeah. of the crew." You know, "Hey guys, you doing all right back there?" Yeah, yeah, you know. And then uh, Ty started cracking some jokes, and of course Nick has always got a joke. You got a joke, Nick? No. <laughs> You're putting him on the spot and, uh, now. And I was like, "Okay." Uh, doing some mental checklist stuff and i'm like hey marty we might need to you know start figuring out what kind of power requirements we're gonna we're gonna need when we get up there we already know what the altitude um we just need to climb up and get the temperature of the altitude and then we can we know what how we know roughly about how much we weigh and then we can start using that information to to start doing our calcs for our power our Hmm. power calcs right um so we have a good idea when we get to the site um what our aircraft's going to do and if we can we have the capability of doing it you know um but yeah there was there was like five ten minutes there where everybody was just silent interesting and it was you know i think we all got excited and just spooled up and the adrenaline was kicking and then and then it just kind of wore off the calm before the storm oh i was still definitely freaking out i was was just really quiet about it (laughs) no that's uh, i just playing a lot of scenarios in my head and trying to go through because like I said, when we were in Kosovo, we weren't just there and just not doing anything. We were still doing a lot of hoist training with all these different multinational agencies. And it was like I was trying to play in my head, you know, what kind of hoist this was going to be and, like, what I'm going to prepare myself for. And uh, I look over, and of course, my medics are just taking selfies, so they're having fun. And I'm just over here, okay, let's, uh, let's get this <laughs> well, going. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It was – so this is the second time 
within a year that I've been in the same area doing some type of rescue op, right? Uh, different crew last time, but the last time that we did this, it was supposed to be a hoist mission, and we got five minutes away from Leavenworth, and um, I was Sergeant, geared up. <laughs> yeah, and Sergeant Cook was in the uh, staff. Sergeant Cook was in the back, and and I gave him. I turned on the hoist power for him, and. He opened the door to bring the hook in and operate the hoist, and he, he's like, the hoist is broke. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I was in the front like, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> Damn it. And then, you know, we, we did the best we could, but uh, we never got a chance to do the hoist off. Mm. Um, well, and as a medic, when that happened, I was very, very apprehensive to get on the hoist, even if we got it working. So. <laughs> I'll bet. And, you know, and, and, and to keep the long story short, that, that hoist had a, a history of, you know, something happening to it. And it, I think it was just some limit switches that needed to be adjusted. It was, it's not, it doesn't, this is not like a, you know, to say that the, the hoists are unreliable because they're they're very reliable. Absolutely, uh, they're they're very they're great pieces of equipment. But mm -hmm. um, you know, every once in a while, you just get something that happens with it, and it just so happened that this one time when we needed it the most, mm -hmm. it just failed. You know, and yeah. and so um, we got it fixed, and it, it is what it is. But you know, it's just. I was checking on this one. I was just like, I got to check yeah. and make sure that this hoist works. And just real quick to touch base on those selfies is <laughs> to touch base on those selfies that we just <laughs> talked about. Uh, I was getting various text messages from many levels of the chain of command to make sure that we had storyboard pictures. <laughs> so those were command directed selfies. <laughs> um, very important part of it. And then also in route, the medics, you know, Ken, Mr. Kenny was talking about how quiet everybody gets, and like Nick was saying, he's going over his. And you can imagine, all we knew at that time was some elderly male on a trail in the middle of the woods tripped and fell. There's so many different scenarios, and how are we going to get this guy out? What's wrong with him? You know, what are we going to have to deal with? Is he critical? So those, those are the kinds of things that we're sitting back there, you know, dealing with in our own heads. And mm -hmm. then, you know, me and Tide kind of talking about him a little bit and me and Doc Jones talking about him a little bit just to kind of game plan. Because if you game plan real good, generally you're not going to have the worst case scenario. Yeah. It's when you don't game plan that the worst case is going to come get you. So so I want to, I do want to get to that topic of like the nerves, you know, you know, you guys train for this a lot. Then you're all of a sudden in a real world supposed life-saving scenario right like 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 how do how do you guys deal with the uh i don't know do you just rely on the, the repetition that you guys go through well i think it's like he said like at first we're all like the adrenaline's rushing we're we're hyped we're going and then he said like 10 minutes in everybody just kind of calmed down i yeah. mean for me that's a kind of exactly what happened it's just like i'm i'm freaking out and then all of a sudden it's just like everything kind of slowly started coming down and i was like all right i'm gonna start thinking about what i'm gonna do stuff like that and it, it was definitely a weird transition within my body because <laughs> you know you're you're amped up and the next thing you know you're like okay i can see myself doing this i can see myself doing that and then it, you notice like you're not fidgeting no more you're just kind of calm you're kind of just going for a helicopter ride and then at the end of it you're going to be doing something pretty cool so <laughs> interesting yeah, for my side of it, um, I've been in the fire service for 20 plus years now. So it's not necessarily like nervous, like, oh, I, you know, it's the excitement, like I get to go do, you know, okay. this life-saving thing and actually go help people, which is why we all sign up for the Guard, right? Is that's right, right. our primary mission is to help the citizens of the state and getting those opportunities. That's exciting, right? It's not necessarily the nervous, like, oh, can I do it kind of stuff. It's, yeah, we get to go do this. And I think, you know, that's kind of how we all feel is. It's yeah. go time. It's actually time to get to help. Well, so. like in Kosovo, if we were like ever deployed or anything like that, uh, helicopter, helicopter ambulance company, like our, our mission requirements is to be able to be off the ground within 15 minutes. So from notification, 15 minutes later, we have to be up, mm -hmm. up in the air on, on, on our way en route to wherever we needed to go. And so, unfortunately, Kosovo was kind of a slow deployment for us because it was, just, I mean, 
we were fighting with COVID, so Native forces weren't really training that much. So, I mean, it was a good thing because nobody was getting hurt, but at the same time, it, it was a long, boring deployment for us. I think, how many missions do we have total? Like five, we six? Had five air, we had five air evacs, and then we had seven ground evacs where our medics assisted ground forces with getting mm -hmm. their people out. So, I mean, and, and when we do this, we're on call basically locked into our, our command post for 24 to 48 hours, right? Where we were on station ready to go. So when you get that phone call at like, you know, 11, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning uh, from a dead sleep and you got to launch within 15 minutes, mm. that's real adrenaline, right? So I think we all experience that within some sort of training or being overseas, you know, some level or another, you know. And so with this, you still don't really defeat it. You still you still don't get used to it. You still get excited and you still have that level of adrenaline that's pumping through your body and, mm -hmm. and you still you still have to fight it. But um, yeah, once it starts wearing down, it's the worst part because you got to you got to fight that, you know, because you don't want to get you don't want to get complacent. And yeah. uh, mm -hmm. You still think about the mission and, and what you need to do. Well, you know, and it kind of comes in waves, you know, because it's like, you know, we get notified that something might happen. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, we'll go through the motions of getting ready. And then, oh, yeah, this is actually happening. And everyone's like, oh, shit, this is happening. <laughs> so now everyone's excited. They're trying to get everything together and make sure we have everything. We finally launch. We get in the aircraft. And it's, you know, 30 minutes to get there. So now you've got, like, 30 minutes of time where, like, there's not that much happening. So everyone kind of, like, takes a quick breather. Uh, and then we get 10 minutes out, a little bit closer, and we're like, hey, we should probably start thinking about things we need to do again. So everyone starts building up, you know, building up the adrenaline, getting all, you know, psyched up or whatever you have to do. Then we get on scene, and, you know, then it's go time. So. Mm. And I imagine Ty and I spend 25 minutes on the ground just sweating <laughs> profusely <laughs> until we get back in the aircraft and get to relax again. Yeah. I mean, it didn't look that hard from up in the aircraft. Well, it never, it never does when you just hold two sticks, Marty. My arm definitely got tired from waving from all the bystanders that kept walking through. They're taking photos, and yeah. I'm just waving out the window. And just when we were sitting there doing our laps, the sun was going down, so the sun was right on the horizon. And every time we turned to the west, you know, I, I was just blinded by the sun, you know. Oh, man, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, our hardest part was trying to find somewhere to circle where we weren't getting beamed in the eye by the sun. Yeah. Relocating the aircraft. I guess so we I all have our, you know, in our various roles. Our own little struggles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I imagine you guys, I don't know, just like at the conclusion of this, you know, just feel like a, a, a sense of pride and and service. Like, is that is that is that true? I mean, like you guys helped rescue this person, bring him to safety. I mean, it is kind of like the ethos of what, you know, the National Guard is about, you know, just like. I mean, that's that's exactly what it's about. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody's got their own reasons of why they join the National Guard, right? But you really don't get a, a sense of accomplishment or a, a sense of pride until you, you get a chance to serve the community, mm -hmm. you know, and serve the state, you know. So even when we go out and fight fires, which we do, it seems like every summer, um, and, and you could be out in the middle of the forest and you could just be laying lines down on a fire that's nowhere near any structures. Yeah, like, You're still doing something. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're still doing something for the state, you know? So, um, I, I'm, ex I'm extremely proud of, of, um, our, our organization of Rainier dust off and everything that we've done. Um, we've, we've trained hard for moments like this. And, um, and, and when we get to take, everything, all the pains and the suffering that we have done during the training that we've done, you know, deployments that we've done, and we can use our, our skill set to, to serve even one member of our community. Um, it, it just, it pays dividends. It makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth <clears throat> it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is the kind of mission that like people like keeps people on the guard, you know, because it's something, you know, something you can do that you can be proud of that, you know, I mean, you know, go home and tell my kids about it, you mm -hmm. know. It's better than telling my kids I sat through 10 PowerPoint slides or, right. you know, checked it, five emails, you know. It's I a went out, flew a mission that the state asked me to do where I got to help somebody. It's, so. it's a tangible return on your sacrifices for the time you spent away from your family yeah. and, and, and 
in your life, essentially, to train and, and do things like this. Nice. And even though I talked about how little this guy was actually injured, if you think about that, though, we're the pilots are talking about the sun's going down, right? This guy's out there in shorts and a T-shirt with just a survival blanket. You know, what his situation could have turned into if they had to gather a team of ground search and rescue people, take a litter up into there. Now, you know, we're looking at an overnight mission where this guy doesn't have hypothermia prevention. So right. if we hadn't done what we did, his situation could have become life-threatening mm -hmm. very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it being able to affect that is, is huge. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, five-minute flight by air, like, to get that guy out of there, I mean, there's no vehicles I got to get in there. There's Absolutely nothing. Not. So yeah. getting, you know, a team of people to carry a stretcher out, I mean, yeah, hours and hours and hours. Yeah, I've done ground you know, search and rescue, and it's five minutes it's hard us. work for hours and hours and hours versus me and Ty for 25 minutes putting in some hard work, and now this guy's at a hospital already. Yeah. Hard work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to say it's probably also one of those missions that gets people – interested in the guard too true because like the whole time we were doing our patterns there's people on the ground taking photos and you know i guarantee our photos have probably gone around social media a time or two and you know that probably got a lot of people really interested and it's like wow like that's something mm -hmm. i can do that'd be cool um and as far as like feeling accomplished yeah i mean i've done like i said i've been in 10 years i've done two deployments but this mission right here was like i got done it's like okay now i could say i've done something yeah you know, it felt Felt pretty rewarding. Yeah. And Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Hayes keeps putting hard work in the medics in the quotations. If we could have him play medic for a little bit, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Better yet, I'll have him play patient. No, yeah. <laughs> no, because then we have to pick up his 240 pounds. You make my life harder. Well, if we shave that stash, it'd probably take about 10 pounds off. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Gotta love the camaraderie you guys, you guys build during your it time. It really is great yeah. in, in aviation. It's you can't get you can't beat it. You know, I've I've been in infantry units. I've been in you know just ground support units, and and since I've came to aviation, it's it's been some of the best. You know, uh, you just make friends for life. You know, and and just people that you're gonna stay in contact with for yeah. the rest of your life. You just you just really can't beat it. It's it's a great community to be yep. part of. All right. I'm going to end it right here. As you can tell, these guys love their jobs and they love what they do for our state and nation. Tune in next week as we continue the conversation. We talk about the aviation community and their organization. They go into why they got into the aviation career field. And uh, then they talk a little bit about what's next for them. You know, life after the guard. So come back next week and get inspired.